Hey, welcome to the Project Church podcast. My name is Caleb Cole. I'm the lead pastor here at Project Church in downtown Sacramento. And we're so glad that you came to hear this word. We believe this is going to encourage you, build you up, and give you life. So get ready to receive a message from God. Project Church, what is up? You guys see that? We got a little, a new little stage design for you. We're saving it for Easter. So that was your preview. Hope you guys are excited. Uh, I noticed you do need to register soon. The 9 and the 1030 are already almost full. Um, and there's there's just a little, there's still a lot of room left in the 12. So I don't want you to get stuck at the one you don't want to go to. Uh, but maybe God's calling you there. Some of you are maybe being called to the 12 p.m. Come on, somebody. Uh, but hey, my name is Caleb. And I have the blessing of being the lead pastor here at Project Church with my wife, Chrissy, who was up here just a few moments ago. And we got something else next week. Uh, All new Project Church merch is launching. I'm rocking the jacket right now, the overflow. Uh, This is the overflow edition. Check out the P for Project in the back. Uh, Chrissy was rocking the bomber. Chrissy, stand up. Come on. Get up here. Give it up for Chrissy. She's going to get up here. Oh, so on the back, it's got For Sacramento, Overflow, Life and Freedom. Who doesn't want it? Come on. And so we also have T-shirts, hoodies, hats. It's going to be fire, fire emoji. All right, so make sure you're there uh, next week and you snag some new Project Church merch. Church Online, what is up? Give it up for our online people. Uh, Those that are still watching online, we still got a lot of people tuning in via YouTube and Facebook, and so we miss you guys. Uh, We'd love to have you here for Easter if you're comfortable, but uh, we're blessed that we're able to provide this online. We actually have people tuning in from all over the country, which is amazing. Uh, But my name is Caleb, as I said earlier, and I am continuing this series called The Rising Church. And I really believe that the word God gave me today on this special day, this Palm Sunday, You see, we call it Palm Sunday because the week before Easter Sunday, or what I like to call Resurrection Sunday, when we declare that Jesus is alive. But the week before, Jesus came into Jerusalem riding a donkey, and the people waved palm branches at him and shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And Hosanna means save us. And how many know we are still living in a culture today, 2,000 years later, that is crying out for a Savior? They're crying out, save us. They're just saying it in different ways. They're saying it by what they're engaging in with their time, their mindsets, their perspective. But this world is crying out, save us. And yet at the same time, we look at this world, this culture, and we see a world that is selfish. And so today I want to talk to you about selfishness or, or love in a time of selfishness. I believe that this is a critical moment for this church, for the rising church, to be a place of love. That we would look different from the world. That in a culture of selfishness, we would carry ourselves with the love that God has called us to. Now what I've seen is that Selfishness is actually our base human instinct. It is our first instinct because it is self-protection. It is self-fulfillment. It is selfishness. And all of this is rooted in the idea of self. 
The fruit of the flesh is self. And the reality is most of us, and often in our lives, this world is walking around in the flesh, and so the fruit that comes out of it is a self-focus. There are books upon books about self-help. Life in the flesh is an unbridled selfishness, and yet we are called to be loving in this time of selfishness. Now, I think this is no, this idea of selfishness and what this culture uh, is embodying is, is no better described than by a saying that many of you say, which is this, you do you. There is no current saying that better defines or, or qualifies this idea of selfishness than you do you. And how many of you know, we say this when someone is out of pocket. We say this when someone is acting the fool. When someone is doing something that doesn't make sense to us, but it does to them. So what do we say? You do you. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, you do you. And so this is what comes out. The last few decades, I believe in America, has cultivated a culture of selfishness more than ever and this is at odds with the very love that this world is so desperate for. And so we walk around with people, uh, as people, with a you-do-you mindset. Like, I'm going to do me. I'm just going to focus on me. I'm doing me. And we project this and we live this way. And yet God is calling the church to be different. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5 says this, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, watch this, Lovers, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now, I'm thinking, oh, well, this is talking about like the culture and the world. But watch this. No, he's talking about the church. Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power, avoid such people. You see, the selfishness that we see in our culture is pervasive in the church as well. Because culture is a powerful thing. Culture can influence and change perspectives in a matter of months, uh, weeks, years. And what we're watching is the selfishness of the world it is starting to pervade and, and invade the church. And when Paul wrote this to his young Padawan Timothy about the church, he was saying this is what it's going to look like in the last days. And I would say this is very similar to what we're experiencing today. Love, though, is about others. It looks outwardly. And so I was thinking about, like, what does love look like in a time of selfishness? Because it feels like this whole world culture is trying to push us to be selfish, 
it feels like often in my life I'm embracing selfishness. And I'm just going to be real like I'm selfish. Just talk to my wife. She'll tell you. Most of you would say, no, I'm not that selfish. But if we really sat down and thought about it, the majority, most of our actions are selfish in nature. And Jesus gives us a very sobering challenge in the book of Matthew. I want to read it, chapter number 25. I'm going to read quite a few verses, so I'd ask that you would stick with me. 15 verses, but I read this this week and I felt like God told me to preach this and I was like, God, for real, like it's Palm Sunday. I just really want to just encourage the people. And he's like, no, I'm going to challenge them. I said, God, are you sure? Like, there's so many scriptures I could share that would, everyone would walk out just feeling happy and encouraged. But I felt like God said, no, I'm not going to put guilt on the people. Because guilt is not of God. That's a tool of the enemy. He said, but I'm going to put conviction on my people. And I actually read it to Chrissy last night and I shared a little bit of my points and she was like, I'm already convicted. So let me read Matthew chapter 25, a sobering challenge by Jesus about the final judgment. Who's excited? The final judgment, chapter 30, 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on the right, but the goats on the left. Some of you want to be the goat. This is telling us the opposite. Which just... uh little disclaimer reminder for you. Just want to let you know, Michael Jordan is the GOAT, not LeBron James. Y'all, young people never even saw Jordan play trying to tell me LeBron James is the GOAT. Uh-uh-uh. 6-0. and oh. That's all you need to know. This is not of the spirit. This is of the flesh. I'm going to continue now with the word of God. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, these are the sheep, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? And when do we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when do we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on the left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devils and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you did not welcome me. Naked, you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. Then they also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Who's encouraged this morning? Lord, I pray right now that you would speak to us. 
God, you want us to be a people, a church of love. So may we embody the selfless love you've called us to. May we be convicted in our hearts and spirits today in this place. We love you. We praise you. And let me share what you want me to share. And may we be open to receive what you want us to receive. In your name we pray. Amen. I think some of you here in this place today, you've already closed yourself off. I believe God wanted to tell you right now, open up. Because I want to change you. And when we're open, God can do something. So may we open our hearts to what it is he wants to say to us today in this place. And so I want to focus on what both the goats and the sheep said. These people, as they stood before the king, the savior, the Lord, they said, when did we see you? You see, even the sheep who had done all these things, they didn't know they had done them unto him. He said, when did we see you? He said, as you did it unto the least of these, so you did it unto me. And in the same way, the goats who hadn't done all these things said, but when did we see you? We never saw you, God. We never saw you, King. He said, as you did not do unto the least of these, you did not do unto me. This text should give us pause. When it comes to how we are living, now thankfully we have the entirety of Scripture and the entirety of Jesus' teaching, which we know that faith is not rooted or based in works. It's rooted and based in belief, in trust. And so I wanted you to hear me today and be encouraged today that you cannot work your way into heaven. You cannot do enough good, be righteous enough to get your way into heaven. The Bible tells us there is no one good, no not one, that we are redeemed through Christ alone. That he paid the price. He's the only way. He's the only truth. He's the only life. He is our passageway. And yet, when we read the Bible in its entirety, why we need to read the entirety of Scripture is because we know that faith without works is dead. We know that if we love God, we will do good things in his name. But they say something. They say, when do we see you? You see, how we love the least has eternal ramifications for us but it also has temporary provision for them. We have a call to love the least. In a world and a culture of selfishness, we are called to see. They said, when do we see you? You see, the hardest thing, I think, about loving is that we have a hard time seeing. We don't see the way Jesus sees. We don't see people as those who are created in his image. We see enemies. We see lines drawn and it's them versus us. And I'm going to do everything not to love them or serve them, but to fight them. But the word of God says otherwise. It says, love those who are your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. When they hit you on one cheek, turn to them the other. If we are to truly love like Jesus, we must go from you do you to I see you. I think we have a lot of people living the you do you lifestyle, the you do you mentality. And today I wanted to challenge us that we would go from you do you people to I see you people.
But how do we become ICU people? Because let's be real, we don't see very clearly. Here's what it takes. First, you have to train compassion. Everybody say train. We have to train compassion. We train ourselves. How many of you know compassion is not normally our default? Now, we have some very helpful, kind people in this room. Some of you are, are, are a little more that way. But the majority of us, compassion is not a default. In fact, it's often our last resort. Like, I'll be compassionate only if I have to. And yet God is saying, you got to train compassion. you got to cultivate compassion. My wife knows empathy has never been a strength of mine. And I think it's, some of it is just growing up, like, playing sports, and I was just told, like, suck it up, man up. Like, this is, how, this is the culture that I grew up in. Like, don't cry. You know what I'm saying. And so I have a hard time then, then giving empathy to other people around me, and yet it's something that I've trained in my life. Because as a pastor, people come to me with hurts and struggles and sometimes the same thing over and over. And I just want to be, just stop it. And, and I have a hard time, you know, having empathy when it's the same thing over and over, the same problems over and over. But God just reminds me, you have to train yourself to be compassionate. You have to wake up in the morning and say, God, give me compassion in my heart. Compassion isn't something that just happens. It's something that must be cultivated. You know, you have to cultivate compassion. You know, when you cultivate land, it takes a lot of work. It takes tilling and toiling and grinding and plowing and watering. You cultivate it to create an environment for compassion to grow. You know, I, 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 this week God gave me a word because if I, I've had relationships in my life, friendships, people I was connected to, even people in this very church that were broken. And sometimes I have the mentality, like many of you, which is this person did me dirty. They stabbed me in the back. They did me wrong. So I'm done with them. Cut them out. But God gave me this word this week. He said, Caleb... Sometimes you have to redefine the relationship because I have not, I'm not calling you to ruin any relationships. And I think we in the church have embraced ruined relationships because we've embraced it out of self-protection. Like I don't want toxicity in my life. Now that's good. We shouldn't want that in our life. I don't want anyone that, that's going to, you know, not have my back in my life. And, yeah, we, we maybe shouldn't have those people in the same way. But we don't ruin relationships. We redefine relationships. And God was working on me because he said, Caleb, you've allowed some relationships to be ruined when maybe you just needed to change expectations. Maybe you just needed to change what you, the, the boundaries you've drawn in your life with them. Maybe you need to sit down and have a hard conversation, a crunchy conversation, which is uncomfortable, but will allow you to save rather than ruin the relationship that you have. So we live in a cancel culture. Culture. We cancel people. We cancel those around us. But here's what the key is. 
in a cancel culture, we need compassion culture in the church. We need to raise up a compassionate church that doesn't cancel. We redefine expectations. We redraw boundaries. We understand seasons. We have to fight cancel culture with compassion culture. Our greatest weapon, I believe, in the church is our love. Our great, and one of our greatest weapons can be our compassion. That we carry compassion. But it's something that must be trained in you. John 13, 34. He actually, Jesus gives a new commandment. Now this was huge. And some of you are like, what's the big deal? I've actually heard this. But when Jesus told the disciples, I give you a new commandment. This was significant because they'd already always had ten commandments. Then they'd had 620 laws from the Old Testament. And Jesus said, I'm giving you a new one. A new commandment. When he said this, the disciples would have stood up. They would have perked up. The air would have been sucked out of the room as they waited on his next words. And here's what he said. It will be on the screen for you. John 13, 34. Love one another. That you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. He says it twice, which means he's serious. And I think that in the church we've embraced this, this culture that cancels people or that cuts people out. And God is saying, my church must be different. What set the early church apart was their love for one another. We see that over and over in the New Testament. In the book of Acts, the people were in awe of their power, of the spirit moving, but they were most in awe of the love they had for each other, that they met each other's needs, that they redefined relationships rather than ruining relationships. And we need a comeback, a revival of compassion in the church. A revival of compassion in our hearts. We have to train it. That we would be compassionate towards one another. You see, it's easy to cancel. It's hard to have compassion. To redefine. To have the hard conversations. But God doesn't want a church of ruined relationships. And I'm here standing in front of you saying that I'm guilty of at times ruining relationships. Because I didn't want to have the hard conversations. I didn't want to take and put in the work necessary to redefine that which I thought was already ruined. And I felt like God wanted to tell us today that there are relationships in this place that God wants to renew and restore and heal. But it's going to take you first embracing compassion. But second, going and humbling yourself in a selfish world, being selfless. So what does it take for you to go from you do you to I see you have to train compassion? We also, second today, have to touch who others wouldn't. We touch those that others wouldn't touch, the least of these. You all remember elementary love? You know what I'm talking about? Second, third, fourth, fifth grade love. See, elementary love went like this. You'd get a piece of paper. You say, 
do you like me? Yes, no, maybe. Three boxes. And then, will you be my girlfriend? Yes, no, maybe. And they check the boxes. But you didn't take it yourself because you always had your boy who became your postman. And you get little Johnny and you send him over to Stephanie. I don't know. I'm just throwing it out. And, And you say, take this to Stephanie. And then Stephanie would look and look up and look and look up. And then she'd get a pen, she'd mark. For me, it was always yes, you know what I'm saying? But <laughs> I'm, play- I'm playing. I couldn't resist. <laughs> but how many of you know this is not real love? Like elementary love was not real love. Let me tell you how I know. Because one time this girl said yes to me, for real, I did this. And we actually held hands on the playground. But when I was a kid, I had like 37 warts on my hand. Yeah, yeah. Some of you have suffered in your life. You don't even know. And and I had like 37 warts on my hand. And she held my hand. She's like, good Lord. And the next day, she's like, it's over. But then I got them burned off, y'all. But how many you know, like, this love is not real love? My, my relationship lasted not even like 12 hours, and it was over. This wasn't real love. You see, then I had my wife. I found her, and I had to work for my wife. I had to put in the work for her. It was a job. To initiate. And you want to know how I did this? Because I, I would call her, and I'd call her like multiple times a week when we first started talking. We were doing the long distance thing, and I'd call her, and I'd call her, and call her. And after like two months, she'd never once called me. And so I called her, and I'm like, yo, like, are you about this? Because you have never called me. I said, why don't you ever call me? She said, because it's not my job. And some of y'all need to hear me today, ladies. Let that man pursue you. That's his job. Men, you need to hear me. Stop being a wuss. Get out there and pursue a woman. I'm trying to help some single people in this place. But hear me. Real love risks rejection. This is a word for us today. I was in love with Chrissy. Though I hadn't told her yet. But it was a risk. I risked rejection by pursuing her. I made it my job. I said, I'm going to win her over. This is good theology too. You see, God is the initiator. You are the responder. When it comes to this world though, you have a call to initiate love. You have a call to see. Now, when you, when you initiate love, you risk rejection. When you make it your job to love the least, how many know you will be rejected? I've said it to our church before. If we are going to be a bridge for the broken, we have to be willing to be walked on at times. You will be rejected. You will be taken advantage of, but that is the price we pay, the selfless price we pay as the hands and feet of Jesus Christ to love those who others wouldn't love. 
Who was Jesus? He was someone who got with those that others wouldn't. Spent time with those that the religious rejected. And let me tell you, some of them followed him, but some rejected him. He risked that. But he knew about his selfless call on this earth. And I think we live in a culture where we don't like getting our hands dirty. I know, because I've seen all y'all's fingernails. Getting them done every week. We got, and we're in the middle of a moment when we want to love on our terms. We want to love if it's convenient, if it's comfortable. I remember being a college student, and I, I had a job here in Sacramento in the middle of the summer when I was home from college, and I would paint curbs. I painted the red curbs, no parking fire lane with stencil on them. And I spent the whole summer painting curves. My, my curves were fire, though. And everywhere I went, I would notice other curves. I'd say, those are trash, man. I need to get over here and paint these curves. But let me tell you something. When I was doing it in the middle of summer, there were times when I'd be out there 106 degrees in Sacramento afternoons going, God, why are you making me do this? Don't you know about my call? God, don't you know about my gifts? I'm wasting my time painting curbs. And God had to remind me over and over, I'm developing something in you. I'm teaching you about hard work. I'm teaching you about what it is to get your hands dirty. And I think that we need to be reminded that all people bear the image of God. Genesis 5, 1 through 2, we see that we are all made in his image, his fingerprint is upon every one of us. And I think about how comfortable we've become even in our Christianity. And I think that often I hear the story of the Good Samaritan. And I actually want to put myself and I, I, I want to make myself the hero. I think you do too. So you read the Good Samaritan you go, yeah, I would be the Samaritan. I would be the Samaritan helping the man who'd been robbed and beaten and bloodied. I'd be the one. But in reality, I think that God, when he gave us that story, he's telling us, no, no, no. You're the ones who crossed over to the other side. You're the religious leader who had better things to do. Who had, was about his father's business and didn't have time for the person on the side of the road. And we are so ingrained today in thinking that we're always the hero and that the word of God is always for someone else. And you guys come in here and you hear words you're like, ah, so-and-so needs to hear this. Oh, my goodness. And you send it to them, which isn't bad. You should do that, YouTube. Share the link. But I think often God say, no, no, this is for you. And that's what God is saying to me. And I've read the Good Samaritan story so many times and thought that I would be the Samaritan. And as life has gone on, I've realized that there's been seasons in my life when I was the religious leader that went away. They wanted nothing to do with him. And in a moment when Jesus told that story, when there was racial division, which we can actually identify with, which we understand, and the people would ignore someone who was beaten and broken because that happened often on the path when they were walking somewhere. 
It was the Samaritan who the Jews hated that paid the price to redeem and heal and bring that man back to health. You see, Jesus is trying to remind us today that when you touch who others wouldn't, it's going to cost you something. It's not always going to be convenient. I don't know if any of you are into horse racing. Got any horse racing fans? Okay, none of you, great. Uh, but there's some famous races, you know, the Preakness, the Belmont Stakes, and the Kentucky Derby. My mom was a big horse fan growing up, and so she would always have these races on that time of year. And uh, she actually, like, took care of horses as a young girl and worked in stables. Oh, pretty epic. She's Canadian, eh? And so y'all going to learn something new about me today? I'm half Canadian. You didn't even know. Explains a lot, actually. So I was thinking about it, though. If you've ever seen a horse race, they always, the horses wear something. You know what they wear? Blinders. They wear blinders because if they don't keep their eyes fixed forward on the finish line, they'll get distracted by the other horses. And if they get distracted, they'll run at a pace that isn't theirs. And they won't get to the finish line in the time that they were meant to get into or that they're capable of. And I think what we've done is we've actually put blinders on. And we're fixated on our purpose, on our dreams, on our call, on our job, on what we're going after. And we don't see the hurting and the broken around us every single day. And God today is wanting to tell us, you need to take the blinders off. You need to ask me to remove the blinders so you can see what I want you to see. Because you can't love who he wants you to love if you don't see who he wants you to see. We're here to love all people because Jesus loves all people. Finally, today, if we're going to go from a you-do-you person to a I-see-you person, we have to tap into the Spirit. Tap into the Spirit. I just said we got to take the blinders off. I'm here to tell you. It is the Spirit of God that will give us the eyes to see who we're called to serve. It is the Spirit of God that will move the blinders of this world off of us so we can love who God is calling us to connect with. Only through His Spirit, the Holy Spirit opens our eyes. You see, I read it earlier in, in 1 Timothy, that they had the appearance of godliness, but they denied its power. And what I think is happening in today's church is that we, we appear godly and we talk a righteous talk, but we don't have the power of God in us because we aren't tapped into the spirit of God in us. And as a result, we're walking around and we say the right things, but we're not walking in the authority and the power that he's called us to walk in. You see, love sees when it's connected to the spirit of Jesus. And love acts when it's connected to the heart of Jesus. We need to be connected to the spirit of Jesus and the heart of Jesus. So we can see what he wants us to see. We can see who he wants us to see. And we can act on what we see with the love that is in the heart of our Savior. But it takes the spirit. Because in your flesh, in the natural, 
You don't choose love. You choose selfishness. I, and I'm not saying you. I'm saying me, we, us. We don't choose love naturally. Our default is selfishness. Why? Because selfishness is the fruit of the flesh. You see, Jesus didn't do love. Jesus was love. And sometimes we're trying to do love, but we're trying to do it in our strength. I want to be a bridge to the broken, but we're trying to do it in our strength. I want to reach the least of these. I want to be the hands and feet, but we're trying to do it in our strength. Jesus didn't do love. He was love. In the same way, we don't do love. We are love because the love of God is inside of us. And what comes out naturally is love. But the, the culture and the flesh is going to constantly be fighting you to say, be selfish. Be selfish. Take care of yourself. Worry about yourself. Better yourself. You don't have time for that. What I found is sometimes... I want to, I think, I got to better myself before I can serve someone else. But what I found is when I serve someone else, that's when I become better. I don't want us to do love, to be love, out of anyone trying to convince us. I don't want you to do love or be loved today as you go out from these doors because you were guilted into it. But what I found is that when I begin to understand the love God has for me, I can't do anything else but pour that same love out to others. We say we love everything. Let's be real. Our definition of love is pretty jacked up. I mean, I'll say I love my wife. And then the very next sentence, I'll say I love in and out i say, I love my kids, but I also love my dog. And I would hope that we love our kids more than we love our dog, but some of you are, it's questionable for you. But the reality is, it shows the cracks in the definition of the word love. And I think that's why we actually have a hard time today. In this country, in this world. Because our definition of love is perverse, perverted, broken but I don't know if you know this this was written a long time ago and we read it in English today but most of the New Testament was originally written in the Greek and the great thing about the Greek and why it's important for us to dig in and study the original language is that in the Greek they had different types of love in fact we see there were really four types there's the eros there's the erotic you know physical love some would define as lust. There's the, the, the filio, which is more of a self-compassion, self-love. There's the, or the filia, affectionate love. The felucia, the self-compassionate, self-love. And then there's the agape. And every time Jesus used love, he used the word agape. He said unconditional love. That's love without any conditions attached to it, without any stipulations on it. 
without expecting any reciprocity with it. It's universal. It's unconditional. It's selfless love for others. And Jesus, when he uses this term, agape, when he says love, this is what he's talking about. He refers to it over and over. You see, our definition of love is broken, but the Word of God can give us the truth, which is the church needs to be a place full of unconditional love. That the church needs to go out from these four doors and carry unconditional love. That the church needs to go to the least of these and see them and love them. Not expecting anything in return. But why do we love? We love because he first loved us. I, I learned a song growing up, and it was based on scripture. First John 4, 7, and 8. And it goes like this. Beloved. She's in a different key. That's okay. Let us love one another. Love one another. For love comes from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. She's on it. Beloved, let us love one another. First John 4, 7, and 8. You guys remember that? Okay, some of you learned it. But what does it end with in verse 8? Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. We love out of an overflow of the love that's been poured out upon us. We love because we can't help it. We can't help but love. We've received so much love. How could we not love? Listen to me, church. Some of you need to receive the gospel today. The good news is this. Jesus died for you on your worst day. In your rejection, Romans 5, 8, this is how Christ demonstrated his love for us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When you rejected him, he died for you. When you ran from him, he died for you. On your worst day, he died for you. When you sinned, and it didn't just hurt you, but it wounded so many people around you, he still died for you. When you failed and everyone said you had no future and they wrote you off, Jesus still died for you. Why? Because he has a plan for you. How could we not love when he first loved us? So this week, I was telling our staff about my son, Canaan, because my wife taught him how to use Apple Pay. And he knows the code on my phone. And so we get here, you know, early every Sunday, and we're like some of the last to leave. So every Sunday morning, he takes my phone. Sometimes he'll just snag it out of my pocket. And he goes into Blueprint Coffee Shop, and he pays with Apple Pay for a donut for him and his sister and his brother and hot chocolates for all of them. And then after church, he does it again, round two. And I want my kids to love church, man. They're here a long time. They're here longer than most of you. And so I'm like, go for it. They get two hot chocolates, two donuts every day. They love coming to church. So I'm telling the staff how funny I thought it was that he knows how to use Apple Pay and he goes up there and scans it. And then our blueprint manager is like, hey, Caleb, I don't know if you know this, 
but every time he pays, he tips the max amount. And I was like, say what? <laughs> Y'all need to be checking my bank account more regularly. And uh, he's like, yeah, every time he tips, he tips the max amount, which is $3. So twice every Sunday, he gives $3 in tip to the blueprint workers. Cool. So I go home, and we all laugh. The, the staff thought it was hilarious. And I go home, and I sit him down. I'm like, bro, talk to me about your purchases in Blueprint Coffee. He's like, what's up, Dad? He's nine, by the way. And I said, I heard you've been tipping the max amount every purchase. He said, yeah. I said, why? And what makes you think you can give the max amount every time you make a purchase? He said, Dad, I want to be generous. It's only $3. That's nothing for you. And we had a talk and a teaching moment. I said, you can give $1, son. $1 tips. Well, man, some of you need to hear this. First of all, that that was a word for us. That we have a heavenly father who has all the resources at his disposal. And what you are asking for and need is nothing for your God. Nothing. But here's what it actually taught me today. And what I want to teach to you. Is that it's easy to be generous when it doesn't cost us anything. It was easy for him to give $3 because it's not his money. He's not worried about it. And I wanted you to hear me because I want you to count the cost. Because compassion and love and seeing and being the hands and feet and reaching the least of these will cost you something. It will cost you time. It may cost you money. It will cost you energy. It will cost you inconvenience. It will cost you comfortability. And yet, in all of that, how could we not love? When we know that Jesus gave everything, he paid the ultimate price. The cost he paid was nothing compared to the cost that we will pay to love. And so today I want to challenge us, church, that we would embrace in this place the I see you mentality. In a you-do-you culture, may we walk in a way that says, I see you. And I don't just see you enough to say it. I see you enough to do it. I see you enough to act. I see you enough to love. And so I didn't want you leaving here feeling guilty in this place, but I want to leave, leave here, you to leave here feeling challenged in this place. That when we go out from these doors, we would walk with compassion more than ever before. Because the rising church is a compassionate church. The rising church is a loving church. The rising church is a serving church. The rising church is a church that will pay the price. Because we know Jesus already paid the ultimate price. How could we not love when he loved us first? So as we go out today, may we love. May we carry love. May we be love everywhere we go. Bow your heads with me across this place. I know we're here and in a room 
this big, I believe there's someone that needs to respond to the gospel that I've been preaching. This gospel that says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This gospel that says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And there's someone in this room or online that if you were honest, you say, Caleb, I've been running from God. I've turned my back on God. Or maybe you've never surrendered your heart to God. And today you want to invite Jesus to be your Savior, to be your Lord. You cannot love if you have not received the love of Jesus. So today, I want you to lift your hand if that's you. You need to commit your life to Jesus for the first time. You need to recommit yourself today. One, two, three. Put your hand up in this place online. Yes. 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 Anyone else? I see three, four hands. Yes. Come on, church. I see another two hands over there. Come on. Give God some praise for all these people. This is the best decision you could ever make. The Bible says that when one name is written in the book of life, the angels in heaven rejoice. And this church rejoices with you. So can we pray this? Everybody in here, repeat after me. Say, Jesus, thank you for loving me. At my lowest point, you love me. I ask you today to forgive me of my sins, my past, my present, and my future. All my failures are yours. Let me serve you. Help me to follow you, not in my strength, but with yours. I love you, Jesus, and I pray all this in your name. Amen. Stand to your feet, church. Let's give God one more shout of praise across this place. Clap your hands. Come on, we are celebrating, rejoicing with those that raise their hands. Listen, we're going to sing one last song. As we sing, if you raise your hand to receive Jesus, we would love for you to come forward. This church, nobody's judging you. In fact, you come up here, we're praying for you and rejoicing with you. Maybe you're just walking through a situation, a circumstance, and you just need prayer today. Our prayer team is up here, and this church will be praying for you. So let's sing, and if you need prayer, if you raise your hand, we would invite you forward. Come this way so we can pray over your life. Come on, lift your voices with us, church. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to the Project Church podcast. We pray and hope that this message encouraged you, built you up, and gave you life. We want to ask that you would invest right now in what God is doing here in downtown Sacramento. We've just recently moved in to our all-new building in the waterfront, Old Sacramento District. We want to ask you, if you'd like to give, you can go to projectchurch.com forward slash give to invest. Let's see all that God can do through us.